Hello, welcome to the Choose Love podcast. My name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Our mission is to offer essential life skills and tools that help us connect in healthy and meaningful ways, to manage our emotions, to grow through difficulties and challenges we face in life, to make responsible decisions and more. We're not born with these life skills, but we can learn them at any age, and they provide a direct path to finding meaning and purpose in our lives and to flourishing. And we need them now more than ever. The Choose Love movement is now in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country in over 100 countries. So I am so excited today for you all to be here with me. We have an incredibly special guest. Molly Hudgens is here with us today. She wrote a book called Saving Sycamore, the school shooting that never happened. Molly is a Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, and she speaks all over the world. She speaks with uh, Safe and Sound Schools, our partner organization run by Michelle Gay and Alyssa Parker, the Top School Safety Initiative. And uh, she speaks all over the world on keeping kids safe. And Molly, we're so happy to have you here today. Well, thank you, Scarlett. I'm so excited to be here and to um, to talk more about Jesse's movement and your movement and to talk about, about our story as well. Yes, absolutely. So I heard your story um, through Safe and Sound Schools first, and I was absolutely spellbound. I had to reach out to you. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that we're in touch. I got your book immediately, Saving Sycamore, and read it cover to cover in just about one sitting uh, and changed forever by it. It's an amazing book. And it is literally uh, about uh, in uh, September 28th, 2016, when a young student came into your office with a loaded gun. Yes. With yes. the intention of committing a, a mass murder. Right. That's right. Um, it's really interesting because I had not, as most people don't, had not expected anything in my life to ever happen that would be very exciting um, or scary. I live, you know, in a very rural area. We are are very plain and normal people, and I wasn't expecting anything to happen that would change my life like this incident. Um, I graduated from college, moved back home, and got a job at Sycamore Middle School at the ripe old age of 21 <laughs> and, had, uh, and, and taught uh, language arts in seventh and eighth grade but moved to the counseling program when I finished my master's degree, not knowing that God, I think, was already preparing a way for the conversation that I would have uh, almost 18 years later. So started at Sycamore my very first year, uh, the 1998-99 school year, was when the school shooting happened at Columbine High School uh, in a suburb right outside of Littleton, Colorado. And I for reasons I didn't understand at the time, um, started really researching school shootings, not for the details that I think a lot of the public uh, wanted to know. For me, it wasn't 
about specifics. It was more about the, the perpetrators. It was more about how could these kids have planned something of that magnitude over a year's time and there not been some type of signs. And it, and it made me question, is it possible to find a child in crisis before they commit a crime. And mm-hmm. I, had, I had this theory, this hope that that could be done, that they could be found and there could be an intervention. Um, and so I researched school shootings as far back as the 1930s, which actually it's not all shootings. There's been other, other forms of mass attacks. But through that, um, I was able to read works written by a lot of mental health professionals, people involved with law enforcement directly connected to these cases, educators, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, all people that I felt like were professionally dedicated to these situations and not just people who were writing them for um, tabloid-like purposes. And so I took all that information and decided to write a training because I knew that we didn't have a lot of options as school counselors for professional development opportunities in the, in the early 2000s. And so I compiled all this information. It took me 10 years to do it. So from uh, 1999 until 2009, I researched it and wrote this training. And it was called Recognizing Red Flags, an Educator's Role in Preventing School Violence. And I traveled all over Tennessee, telling anybody who listened to me what I had learned. And it was really pretty much a a psychological uh, in-depth analysis of of about 30 school shooters. And you have to remember that during these 10 years, uh, that was not a topic that people wanted to discuss. It, It was almost as if there was a mentality of if we, if we just pretend this is not happening then it's not happening. And, and we know that's not the case. So I found that education was not really a place that doors opened for me to discuss this topic, although that would seem like it would have been the best place. Mm-hmm. Uh, people involved with juvenile courts, uh, people who, uh, you know, a lot of probation officers who had seen kids come through the system who said, you know, I really believe if that kid could have had just a hand up somewhere, somebody somewhere to connect to, the outcome might have been different. And so um, our school wrote a crisis plan. It was the first one our county had ever had in terms of an, of, um, an active attack. Nobody had really, you know, we had planned for tornadoes and fire drills, but not for what we would do if we had an attack against our school by a student. And so we started to put things into place and I felt like the staff bought in, which was a huge, huge thing for me. But again, people around me were kind of like, why are Mm -hmm. you so interested in this? You know, this is like a really sad thing to talk about. Why?" (laughs) I would just say, listen, I don't know. I just just am. Even my husband was like, Molly, you know, I think you're reading a lot. You know, maybe you need to take a break from some of this. So it didn't make sense to any of them. And it didn't make sense to me but I had to read it. I just had to, I was drawn to it like a moth to a flame. And so um, I moved into the counseling department in 2006 and I had, we had our first son that same year, Bradley. And so I, at that point had had the opportunity in a classroom setting to have thousands of conversations with kids. You know, I, I jokingly say, I guess I'll be forever in the eighth grade. Um, but, but you, 
I, I got to know them. I got to understand how they thought. I got to see their fears and, and also recognize that beyond middle school, it's very difficult sometimes to determine if a child has or, or, or are in a crisis situation. Um, and the older kids become, the more likely they are to try to cover up behaviors that they have learned are taboo amongst their peers. And so I felt like by staying in middle school, especially in eighth grade, because I knew that the average age of a school shooter was 14, that we would have the best opportunity over a four-year period of getting to know our students to identify kids who were really in crisis and to connect them with someone who could help you know, to implement the right intervention or find the right resources. And so that became my belief system. Although I, I knew that it wasn't necessarily accepted by everyone. And I knew a lot of people thought I was wasting time on something that might uh, never happen. And I remember somebody telling me once, you know, you have a less than 1% chance of, of dying inside of a school. And I said, yes, but somebody is that 1%. And you know exactly what I mean by that. You're living that. And so I um, went back and said, I'm going to really try to get to know my students. And as a counselor, that became my goal. So I think it's important to know all of that leading into this story. And the day that this happened, um, this young man came in to see me in the morning. It was about 7.30. And the first thing I thought was, I, I just talked to you, honey. Like I just talked to you last Friday. Um, but then I thought, Molly, there must be a reason he's here. So I said to him, you know, do, do you need to talk today? And he wanted to know if he could come back during their related arts time, which was around 1030 in the morning. And I told him that would be fine. And so he left and I kind of replayed the conversation in my head from the week prior. And actually, I had met with a young man at the request of one of his friends. Mm -hmm. He had a friend who had contacted me and the friend said, Miss Hudgens, I've got, you know, I'm worried about my pal here. I, I really think he's got some things going on in his life. He's probably going to be mad at me that I've told you, but will you talk to him? And so I promised that child that I would not give him away as being the one who told me I needed to talk to his friend. And I can't, I, I met with the child uh, under the guise that we needed to talk about his grades, which we did talk about. But when that kid came that Friday, mm -hmm. he needed to talk and he poured out to me uh, um, his heart. And I did mostly listened for about 45 minutes. And, um, when he left that day, I had made a note to myself to check back in with him again. And so when he wanted to talk with me the following week on Wednesday, I wasn't exactly surprised by that because I knew that he had felt comfortable and had been able to share. And I, a lot of times when kids do feel that way, they do want to come back and talk more. So I wasn't extremely surprised, but like I said, on the same hand, I thought, well, you know, I thought you told me everything you needed to last week. So we had gone about our morning rounds. I had just gotten back into my office and he came in again and he said, Miss Hudgens, I don't, I don't think I can wait to talk to you. I think I'm going to have to talk to you right now. And so I said, okay, well, well, let's talk. So 
closed the door, went in, sat down at my desk. He sat down at the desk across from me and we started talking. And probably about 10 minutes into the conversation, I knew something was wrong. And I first recognized this based on my body's response. Um, My heart rate started to really increase. And at that point, I was about three weeks away from running a marathon. So I had been training pretty intensely for that. And I remember thinking, my heart doesn't beat like this when I'm running. Like mm. I, I'm, something is not right. And and then I felt this lightheaded sensation, almost like somebody had poured a cup of something warm on top of my head and it was running down my back, down my neck and down my back. And I remember telling myself, you're not going to faint. You're not going to faint. And so that's when I thought my life is in debt. Something is, is not right. Um, mm. And mm. from the conversation, I began to understand that there were things going on in his life, anyone in and of itself would not have been something that would have would have been seen concerning at all, or even even seemed like a big deal to a kid. But when you when you swirled all of these things together, they had become um, like the epitome of a perfect storm. And so I, I knew in my heart that he had a gun, and I remember thinking that. He's got a gun. And I, and I, I say this every time I share this story, I think the Lord just gave me that. I think he just let me know that right off the top. This is what, what you're going to be dealing with. Now we also live in the South. Um, guns are very common here. People hunt, people target shoots. Um, people use it for recreational sport, not, um, mostly handguns. It's not a, not a lot of, um, of automatic weapons or anything or semi-automatic weapons or anything of that nature. But I was familiar with guns. I had grown up in the country, lived on a farm. I'd had a license to carry a gun since I was 21. So my first thought of panic was not necessarily about a gun. It was about harm to our kids. Because I remember thinking nothing is going to stand between me between him and them, except for me, like, I'm going to have to do something. I cannot let him leave this room. And so at one point he unzipped his jacket and stuck his hand inside of it and, and started to tap on something. And I knew Mm -hmm. what it was and something inside me rose up. I jokingly say it comes from my Bradley side of the family, (laughs) but there was something inside that rose up. And I just thought, not my school, not my school. (laughs) And I I remember I've never thought about harming anybody in my life. That is not my personality. It's not my thought process. But I knew that if it came down to it, I would in order to prevent him from hurting somebody else. But I also knew um, that I wanted this to end peacefully. I wanted I did not want him to take his own life either. That is something else I feared. And so um I knew I'd have to take the bait when he was tapping on the gun. And so I just said to him, um, what are you, know, what are you tapping on? And at first he, he told me another story. He didn't tell the truth. And he finally said to me, I've got something I want to tell you that I bet nobody's ever told you before. And I said, well, I don't know. I've been doing this job for a long time. I doubt there's anything you can tell me I haven't heard. Of course, I knew that what he was about to tell me was something I had never heard. Um, but he told me then, he said, I bet you've never had a kid tell you they ha- they brought a loaded gun to school. And I said, well, no, they haven't, but you probably wouldn't be the first person. 
And so at that point, he drew the gun out from inside of his coat and he laid it on the desk in front of me. And then he pulled out from another pocket um, a magazine of ammunition and a holster type thing that would attach that to his ankle. And as soon as he did that, I stood up very slowly and I leaned over and I put started to put my hands on the gun. And I said, honey, why don't you just let me take that? Um, and then we'll talk about what's going on. And when I did that, he yanked it away. Mm. He, uh, he shoved the ammunition back into his pocket and he held the gun pointed down at the floor in his left hand. And he was seated this entire time. So of course it dawns on me. I, I'm like a, I'm like a five foot target here from him. So with my hands kind of up in front of me, um, I walked around and I got down on my knees beside him. And the whole time I am thinking to myself, for such a time as this. And I thought about Queen Esther and I thought, wow, Lord. Um, <laughs> so now I know what you've been doing the past 18 years. Like all of a sudden, you know, this makes sense. Right. Um, it all, it all made sense in that moment. It, it did. And I remember saying, if there's anything separating me from you, take it away, take care of my boys and help me be brave. Ugh. And I got down on my knees beside him and I thought about one of the hundreds of books that I read <laughs> on school shootings. And one of them was on hostage negotiations. And it was about lowering emotions, relinquishing power, keeping people comfortable. And all these words are just playing through my head. He has to, you have to present as submissive. Well, I can't be any more submissive than on my knees beside him. Mm -hmm. You know, even seated, he was physically taller than me. Um, such symbolism in that. And I didn't mm -hmm. even know that at the time. There wasn't thought about that part of it. But later I could see that so clearly. Mm -hmm. Also not thinking about the fact that I was, <laughs> I was being brought to my knees mm -hmm. because I was going to pray with that kid. And I didn't plan that either. <laughs> so um, now you had asked him. Do you believe in God? And well, I'm he, getting, that's okay. where that's the next part. You're okay. You read the story. I, I know, I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. So we, when I got on my knees beside him, I, we just started talking and I said, won't you tell me what's going on? What, what's really going on? And, um, we talked for a long time. There were intermittent pauses of silence. Sometimes it was, there was small talk. And finally, I knew there had been a lot of time that had gone by. Um, at that point, probably close to an hour. And I could not believe we had not been interrupted by somebody. Classes had changed. And I had worried every time I would hear the kids in the hallway, um, you know, I would, I would pray they weren't a distraction. I was afraid the sound of locker slamming and people talking in the restroom um, all of those things would be would be a reminder of how close victims were. And so I would try really hard to engage in conversation to keep him focused on me and on, on our situation. And so at one point when there was kind of a lull, I said, uh, honey, I don't I don't know what it is that God has planned for your life, but I know that there is a purpose and um, he stiffened and he looked down at me and he said, Miss um, Hudgens, do you believe in God? And I remember my heart sank into my stomach and I thought, this is it. He, he's he's going to kill me. Um, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to die, I cannot do that denying the Lord. I thought about Peter. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I thought about Valine Schnur in the library at Columbine. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, that 18-year-old girl got it right. She mm -hmm. got it right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I get to tell her that one day. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I, um, I said to him, well, honey, I, I do believe in God, but I feel like you don't. Is there a reason that you don't? And he told me, you know, do you know how many times I have asked for help and God has never sent me any? Mm. And I said, well, what do you think this is? And I said, you know, maybe God mm. wouldn't tell me no. Maybe he was just telling you to wait for me for today. And I told him, I said, I promise, um, I promise you two things. I won't leave you and we're going to figure out what to do. And um, then it was just like this moment of clarity. And I, I thought, well, he mentioned God. And when he cracked that door, I kicked it wide open. <laughs> um, and I said, well, I, I know that this is not something maybe I would normally do, but, you know, would you be okay if, if maybe we, we prayed about it? You know, you mentioned God, would that be okay? And I, I really thought that he would tell me no, that he didn't want to do that, but he didn't. Um, he said, I think that'd be okay. And so the whole time that I have, have been on my knees beside him, I've had my left hand on his right shoulder. And I've had the, the right, my right hand, the fingers of my right hand interlaced with his right hand. So, you know, it's, you're going to pray with somebody and you're holding their hands. And I, um, I prayed, needless to say, most heartfelt prayer of my life. You talk about mm-hmm. pounding the throne of grace. Um, I remember thanking God for that kid. I thanked him for bringing him to me. I thanked him for everything I knew about him, his artistic ability, his love of music. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- and I thank to God that I knew those things from the week before. And um, I remember saying, Lord, whatever negative entity is affecting this situation, remove it from the equation. And I um, felt a pressure on my back. And I thought, I'm not alone. I am not alone. Mm. And he cried the whole time. I cried the whole time. Mm. I didn't close my eyes because frankly, I was afraid to, and, but he did. And when I finished, it kind of seemed like there was a, a, a relief for both of us. Um, and I had asked him for the gun many times before, and he'd always tell me, I want to give it to you, but I just can't miss Hudgens. And, um, and so I remember he looked up at, um, I had, I, I do a lot of running and I had a, some medals from a fi- from five K's hanging in my office. And he pointed at one of them and he said, I forgot, you know, you like to run. And I thought, Oh Lord, this is the opening I've been praying for. And, and, um, I said, you know, I do, I, I ran 10 miles before school this morning. That really wreaks havoc on the knees. And he, he wanted me to go back and sit at my desk. And I said, I just, I can't do that. Um, I'm going to have to stay like this is, is, much as it hurts my knees until you give me that gun. And so um, he said, well, I think, I think I want to give it to you. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you let me take it? And then you won't have to give it to me. And so um, he leaned over and put the safety on and I leaned across him because I'm I'm still on my knees and he handed it to you. I I took it and, um, and he put both arms around me and I hugged him. And I remember I was patting him with one hand and in the other hand, I'm holding what I now know to be a fully loaded gun because of the heaviness of it. Mm. And I'm crying here and I'm just, I'm hearing in my head, Lord, I'm just hearing Molly, hold him like he's yours. Just hold him like he's yours. And I remember telling him I loved him mm. and I was so proud of him mm. um, that he'd done the right thing and that the right thing was never easy, but it was still the right thing. And um, that we were going to figure out what to do. And of course, um, 
the stories very detailed beyond that as well. But we were able, our SRO, we were, I was able to contact him and he came and conducted a, just a, a, a gracious interview. This is a man, Chris Gilmore, who had bought in to my need for a crisis plan. He had prepared us with trainings. He made us talk about scenarios and think about possibilities. And he couldn't believe it. He could not believe. I remember when they finally were able to take the young man out of the school and they did that discreetly. Nobody even knew this had happened uh, when he left. And Chris came back to me um, and opened the door in my office and I went to him and he just closed the door and hugged me. And he said, um, I'm so proud of you. Mm. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I cannot believe that just happened. And you know what? Four years later, I still can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, that is the story in itself, but there, there's so many facets, so many parts beyond that. You know, the media immediately descended like vultures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and I remember one of them specifically saying, if you don't, t- if you don't talk to us, we're going to write our own story and publish it. And I thought, Oh no, you're not. And so we made a video and, and put it on YouTube of me in my office the very next day, uh, t- encouraging parents. I wanted them to know that if I wasn't afraid to come to school, they didn't need to be afraid to send their children. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we put it on YouTube and it went viral. And I will never forget thinking to myself, nobody needs the media. Um, I didn't need for anybody to try to make me look like I was pro this or anti that, or that I had some kind of political bias. It wasn't, this was not about any of that. This was about a kid in trouble who needed help and, and praise God, I could be the person to help him. Maybe I wouldn't have been just any other kid, but this one I was supposed to. And I I wanted the story to be, um, to be sacred and to be revered because I was so proud of what he'd done that he'd reached out for help. And he had done that. He, he told me, you know, I came to you, Miss Hudgens, cause I think you're the only person that can talk me out of this. And, um, that's probably the greatest, you know, compliment I'll ever get in my entire life. And I wanted that to be, to be, um, kept where he could be protected and so our students, our, our 200 eighth graders who are our high school seniors this year, they met with me together, all of us together. And I told them, we are going to close ranks. If you want to talk about this, you talk to each other, you talk to me, you talk to your parents. We will talk about this within our family, but we will not talk about it outside of that. And do you know that to this day, Scarlett, they have never, ever told his name. That's incredible. And so um, they protected him and he has had a second chance. And it is my prayer that one day he will be able to share his story if he so chooses. However, I completely respect and understand his need for privacy Mm -hmm. and the fact that he may never want to share his side of it again. But it is so important for people who hear this story to understand that there is nothing you can do that is so bad that somebody cannot help you and that you cannot be forgiven because I believe that he needed help. And I believe he has been forgiven. I think he was forgiven that day by everybody involved. Our kids wanted um, him to know that they cared about him and 
um, it, it just, the most beautiful part of all of it was the way that they have handled it. And, and I give them praise in the book. I talk about that some, but they really did, you know, give him that chance. So six months after this, um, I was, uh, just honored beyond belief to become a recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor's Citizen's Honor. Uh, it is not the Congressional Medal of Honor that is only awarded to military men and women for instances that occur um, in, in battle. Uh, but this the Citizen's Honor was created by the Medal of Honor recipients as an idea to marry the idea that um, that heroism is not just a military concept. There are people every day in our country, just like Jesse Lewis, uh -huh. who stand up when they probably don't think they have it in them. Uh -huh. they, they certainly never thought something like that was going to happen. There wasn't a plan or a preparation for it, but they intervene. They pull people out of burning cars and they, you know, stop someone from murdering someone with a machete. They do, they do unbelievable things that again, they never thought they'd be called upon to do, and they certainly didn't think they'd rise to the occasion, but they did. And so when we found out that I had been nominated for this, I remember thinking, I can't believe anybody thinks that this story is, um, is something that is that heroic. I think anybody in my school would have done exactly what I did that day had he gone to them. But I also understood that what resonated with people was not what I did. It was the fact that he felt like he had a place to go and he did that. And that is the heroism. That is his, that is not mine. Um, but I didn't know until the, the citizens honor ceremony that there are 10 posthumous recipients of the citizens honor who were all educators or students who lost their lives uh, attempting to save other people in their schools. And six of those are the teachers from Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, thinking, and I even said this to one of the recipients, there oh, is wow. no way that I belong in a category with those women. Um, and he said to me, oh, but Molly, somebody has to speak for them. Mm. Somebody has to remind people of their sacrifice. Mm. And it dawned on me that that's exactly what the Medal of Honor recipients do. Their platform is not, um, oh, look at me, look what great thing I did in battle. It is, I survived this, but let me tell you about my friends who didn't. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what their sacrifice was. And so that, that opportunity gave me a platform to start to talk about school safety and to talk about loving people and offering hope in a way that I would never have had the opportunity to do before this incident. And what people couldn't believe was not just the fact that this happened, but the fact that I had all these years of preparation for it. And, and you know, to, to just show you the depth of the miracle of it is by the time this child entered into the juvenile court uh, system, every single probation officer that he had had as well as every juvenile court judge had been through my training prior to this. They all knew who I was personally. And so when it came time for us to fight, because I, I did not want him to go to jail. I wanted him to get help. When it came time for that, they were willing to listen to me. 
because they knew that I wasn't just a victim of something that happened in my school. I had a professional opinion that mattered. And that gave me the chance to fight for him on a different level. And so when I look back at all of those pieces that came into play, and then I look at finding safe and sound schools and meeting Michelle Gay and meeting you, and I never thought I would have a chance to connect to some of these families to tell them how their situation of loss also gave me a peace mm -hmm that allowed me to help prevent the loss of others. And I know that it can't cancel that out. And it certainly is not a resolution for, for your losses. But it, it is important to me that all the families of victims lost in school violence know that your loved one's loss was not lost on me. Mm. Um, and it has mattered. And it matters Every time I share the story, um, I think about them. Every day I pray for them. And I know that it takes a group of people who are like-minded and who are focused on promoting peace to get something changed. And when I look at all of the controversy about um, things like gun control, I always think, I wish that people on both sides of this argument could step back and see the forest for the trees mm -hmm. because you have to be able to see the people who are lost and hurting and struggling, who are committing these crimes. You have to recognize that they are the ones who need the intervention with that intervention. We will not continue to have these losses mm -hmm. And I wish that all of that energy that's devoted to what I feel like sometimes is just a big argument, a big loud argument. I sometimes wish that it would be focused on finding those kids because I do believe if that could be done and we can actually find a way to help each one of them with whatever, whatever need they have, that needs to be met, then you will see change happen. You will see change. There'll be less crime. Mm -hmm. There'll be fewer people imprisoned. Um, and there sure will be fewer, um, fewer suicides because like, I think you and I've talked about once before at the root of every one of these mass attacks is a suicidal mm -hmm. person. It is somebody that has lost every drop of hope. And when you lose all of that, you don't have anything left and, um, and nothing matters anymore. And so, that is, that is why I, I love the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement, because it's the idea that we can teach kids the importance of gratitude, the importance of forgiveness, um, how these things combined with love can really affect their relationships with other mm -hmm. people, how they interact with everyone, even their, even their families, because um, we as people are broken. We are not perfect. Um, we are not, and we, we need grace. All of us need grace, but we have to be able to extend that and not just expect it. It has to be a gift that is given and received. So I'm just, um, I'm grateful for the chance to, to have, um, places like this podcast to share our story, but also hopefully to plant the seed in others to just very simply 
Look around you at the people who pass you every single day, because there must be a reason that you're having that interaction with that Mm. person. I I think about that every time I get on an elevator and it's me and one other person, I think this may be the only chance in your entire life that you interact with this person. What are you supposed to say to them right now? Because it is not that you stand here and scroll through your phone or you stare at the numbers. Just say something. Because what if you're the only person that's spoken to them all day? Or what if you're the only person who said something nice? And, you know, my husband laughs that we can't pass. You know, we're in a hotel and the housekeepers are trying to work. And I'm speaking to every person that I pass in the hallway. But I I feel like there's a reason for every one of those connections. And I tell our kids at school, somebody drops something right in front of you. There's a reason that kid dropped that in front of you. They need you to stop and just either help them pick it up or ask if they need help or just to kind of, you know, block traffic in the hallway while they pick their things. It may just be that they need that one moment of grace and kindness that only you are able to give. So if we as a society would start looking at the times that we, we run into people as opportunities and not obstacles, Mm -hmm. It'd fill our cups because the only way you're ever going to really find joy in this life is to serve mm-hmm. other people. It's mm-hmm. the only way. And so um, thank you so much for letting me share all of that. <laughs> I know that may be more than you wanted to hear, but that that's my, that's my story. Molly, and I'm very what a it. gift that you've just given our audience and everything that you said. Incredible. The fact that and I believe that God used you, that that he cultivated you for 10 years in order to be prepared mm-hmm. for, for right. what happened for that student, to be there for that student. And, you know, you're the only other person. <laughs> it's been eight years since the Sandy Hook tragedy. Mm-hmm. You're the only other person I've ever heard say, now I've been saying this emphatically for eight years that every school shooting is 100% preventable. And, but, but when I heard you speak with safe and sound schools, you said with one word, now I thought I had anticipated the one word, but you actually said that the one word was. Hope. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. And, and truly, Mm. truly, I also believe as you do, that we've been focused on the wrong end of the problem and that we need to address the cause of why not Mm -hmm. just school shootings, but all of the other suffering that is escalating Mm -hmm. amongst our youth, including substance abuse, suicide, uh, mental illness, bullying, all these other things. They stem from the right. same cause and we need to start addressing that or not start, but, yeah. but really focus even more efforts on that. We do. And, you know, hope is not a new concept. Um, I think about my ninth grade English teacher, Miss Margaret Patton, who made us memorize hope by Emily Dickinson. And it talks about how hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. And I, I used to make every one of my eighth graders memorize that poem every year. And some of them still talk about that. And I think it's because I wanted them to have that to always take with them. And if they memorized it and we said it every day for a month and they learned it, then maybe they believe it. 
and maybe the times that they felt like there wasn't any hope, they would think about how hope is found, you know, in, in the darkest places and on the calmest seas. And they would, they would also understand the last line when it says, um, but yet it asks not a crumb of me. You know, it doesn't cost us anything to give hope to other people other than maybe just a, a moment of time or a, a fraction of a, of a sentence. But yet we sometimes don't do that and we have opportunity. So you're exactly right. You're, it is, it is the root of all of it yes. is suffering. There, there is some reason that a person is suffering when they move towards self-harm or homicidal ideation. It is, it is not that there is a, a proverbial last straw or a there it is a building it is a building of hurts a building of struggling and um unfortunately we we have not as a country had as much um mental health training and and work as we need and you know i feel like we should devote a lot of funding to that every year for programs like like jesse's mm -hmm. program because we need things that can be put into place that teachers and families and communities can embrace that is already researched and, and, and proven to be something that can cause mm -hmm. change and can cause positive change. And I hope that, you know, every, every time that I have a chance to talk to even people in a, a legislative session, you know, session or setting, I always say to them, don't, in, you know, invest your money in people. Don't don't take away people, especially from a school, because you can never have too many. And I look at us on that particular day. Had I been a person who had to do all the scheduling at my school or had to be teaching a class all day and didn't have a flexible schedule, I wouldn't have been available for him mm -hmm, necessarily. Mm -hmm. but yet because I what because I did, I was. And so sometimes it is just a matter of biz, even businesses and you know, corporate um, America looking at your staff and your, the people who contribute to your, your building and your stakeholders and saying, is there somebody here who checks on these people? You know, is there somebody here who makes sure that our employees have a place to go if they need to talk to someone? Um, is there somebody that is the person who shows love? You know, I want people when they think of me, I want them to think of the heart of my school. Um, you know, we have amazing, amazing teachers and, and people who are smarter than I will ever be who are educating our students. But I want somebody to be kind of the mother hen, you know, the place that I'm going to mm -hmm. protect them and I'm going to give them a place to come to. And did you know that if there is ever danger and chicks are separated from their mother hen. She doesn't run all around looking for them. She spreads her wings and she clucks and they come mm. to her. And that's exactly what I want at our school and what I want other schools and businesses and places to have is somebody that people know if there is danger in their lives, if they are struggling with something, they can go there and be accepted and be listened to and be helped. And no, we can't fix every single thing every time something happens. But 90% of the time, people just need somebody to listen to them. They don't need you to fix it. 
They just need to be able to say it out loud and have a safe place to do that. Everybody wants something, somebody to care. Right. I agree. I agree. And I think it's so vitally important, Molly, that we give kids, we teach kids these essential life skills like emotional management, self-regulation, how to have healthy and meaningful relationships, resilience, and how to grow through difficulty. I mean, these are just so uh, such obvious things that that Um, kids need. We know that they're going to need them. Uh, We need them as adults and Um, some adults don't have them. So starting them off the right way with these skills and tools, I, every child is entitled to these. And that's exactly why I started the Jesse Lewis choose love movement because they were absent. Um, And, and I believe firmly that if they had been offered that the Sandy Hook tragedy would never have happened as well as many others. And, you know, I think about too, with your saying that, that so many times there are parents, you know, we joked about how our kids don't come with a handbook here, a manual when we get them, you know, we're, we're all, they're all, all, our first child is always our guinea pig and we're just trying to figure out what we're doing. But I think about the parents who are faced with a child whose situation seems very different than their peers. And, you know, as a parent trying to struggle to find the right tools or the right resources or who to help or to even figure out, is there anything that can be done for my child? Um, There are people who face that every single day. And a lot of times they don't speak up about it or they don't, they don't know who to go to because they feel either fearful or they feel shame or they are afraid that someone is going to turn them away or think they're a terrible parent when really we need to embrace those parents who are brave enough to come and say, listen, you know, I think my child is exhibiting some behaviors that are uncommon for his age. I need to talk to somebody about that. Who, who can help me, you know, and, and us working to try to find the right person. And I think about how with healthcare, if we go to see a doctor and we don't feel a connection with that provider, then we find a different doctor. And it's it's the same way with mental health if, or, or brain health. If we're talking about a child and they meet with a counselor and and it doesn't seem to be helping, it may it may just be they haven't connected with the right person or the right approach. And so we have to be dogged in our attempts to find the answer. It can't just be that we say, well, we tried that and it didn't work. So, oh, I don't know what you're going to do now. Like it has to be that we continue to try something different because it really is a process of elimination. We're all different. So what works for one person may not work for another. And we have to just be willing to try to um, to find the answer for each kid. And I, you know, I'm sure you've heard the story about the old man and the little boy who are walking oh, yes. on the beach. And this is right after the <laughs> tide. And there are all these starfish lying everywhere. And the little boy is just as fast as he can. He's picking them up and he's throwing them back in the ocean. And the old man, who, of course, is, is jaded with life experience like most of us, he sees him. And he says to the little boy, you know, why, why are you doing that? Like, you, you can't save them all. What, what is it? Why is it going to matter? And the little boy picks up one and he throws it back in the ocean and he looks at the old man and he says, it mattered to that one. And that's what I think about every day is, Lord, help mm-hmm. me throw the right starfish back in Whoa. the ocean. <laughs> Land them right here at my feet and I will throw We will figure it out. We will find a way. And 
And if we believe that everybody's coming to our, into our lives for a reason, we will know who it is we're supposed to help. We won't even have to look for them. They'll come to us just like the mother hen and the baby chicks. I love that, Molly. And you know that that's how I finish most of my talks with educators. My mom actually envisioned this image of a little boy walking down the beach. She knew the starfish story, throwing starfish. So she had Mm -hmm. my art instructor and I paint a painting of Jesse being Mm -hmm. the, the, the little boy that throws the starfish in. So I literally have that slide. I'm going to send you the poster that, 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 you know, the, the students are your starfish and every single time that you make a connection, you are transforming and possibly even saving that student, that starfish. That's right. But you got to use in order to do that, you got to get out on the beach. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You can't stay, you know, you can't stay in the, in the, the, um, the hotel or the condo, you got to get out on the beach. And, um, and those are the people who find the starfish. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. We'll do that. If we will all do that, we can make a difference because there are more people who can help others than there are others that are in desperate need of help. So, you know, I even think sometimes these kids, I I hope they're outnumbered. I hope that not only am I helping them at school, but they've got, you know, somebody in their community or their neighborhood or their family who is also offering that mm-hmm. extra help and they just need, they just need to be held up sometimes and sometimes like you talked about with resilience sometimes I had a kid one time who was just devastated I remember this very vividly this young lady and I said honey I want you to pull yourself up off the floor because I can do it for you but I won't always be here I'm gonna stand here mm-hmm. while you do it <laughs> and when you get up off the floor we're gonna figure out what we're gonna do And I think about that all the time. That's how Mm -hmm. you teach resilience. We don't need to teach them to be be vulnerable. They already are. We've got to teach them how when the world knocks you down, you get Mm -hmm. yourself back up. And if there's somebody out there to help you, that's great. But there may not always be. Just like with this young man in my school, there wasn't, he didn't feel like he could tell anybody else about what was going on in his life. So he had to stand in the gap for Mm -hmm. himself and he did. So if there's somebody who's listening to this today, because I always have to say this, and you you are struggling, reach out for help. Look online, Google whatever your issue is. I promise you can find a million different resources and, pe- and connect with someone you can talk to. Do it today. Don't wait. We lose way too many people um, because they're thinking that it would make them look weak mm-hmm. if they asked for help. And that is not weakness. That is the, probably the greatest strength. Um, it takes a lot of strength to reach out for yourself. It does. And that's, that's little kids and big kids, uh, us big kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, Molly, thank you so much for this incredible time together. I know that people who are listening have been changed forever. Absolutely. Is there any last words of, of, of advice that you want to give us or any, any parting words for the audience? Yes. Just that there is a reason that you listen to this today. 
And it is not because of the story that I have to tell or the story that Scarlett has to share. There is a reason that you were supposed to hear this story. And now it is up to you to do something with it. We have cast our bread on the water and I believe it will come back on every wave, but you have to carry it. So um, if you've heard this today, thank you for listening to all of it. And know that while you may not know in this life, what you have done to truly affect and help other people. I believe with all my heart that you will in the next one. And a lot of things will become known that you couldn't understand here. So keep being kind, keep extending grace. And above all, just like Jesse, choose to love people. And that will give them hope. absolutely. Oh my gosh, Molly. I, I just love you so much. I'm so thankful that we're connected. I'm so thankful for your message. It's life changing. Thank you for writing your book and for all that you do every single day to make this a safer, more peaceful and loving world. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody that's listening. Thank you for, for all that you do. Uh, it takes you know, everybody coming together to be part of the solution and, and, and we're it. So, so thank you for choosing love. Thank you, Molly, so much. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Oh girl. That was amazing. Thank thank you. you. I didn't make for it to me. I just, I told you, I just say whatever. Comes you pour your heart and soul <laughs> out and it's so obvious. And, and I believe too, I, I believe exactly like you that, that anybody who comes into our path, but thank you. You know, you remind me too. Sometimes even I get going and, you know, I, I forget how sacred absolutely everything is. And you reminded me. Well, and, you know, I think one of the things I've had to learn is not to push because I think sometimes I try to do that. I'm a very type A personality. And like, I think everybody got to run Me too. and take care of themselves. <laughs> like, you know, I have all these preconceived ideas and, but I, sometimes I have to, I have to tell myself not to push, even when it comes to this story, because there are times that I have like tried to reach out mm-hmm. to different people, like hoping it could be another avenue to share the story. And it seems like almost every time I've ever done that, it never works. Um, but yet if I just wait, if I just wait on the Lord and I just say, please open the next door you want me to go through, then I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to hunt down opportunities or, you know, because I think there's a fear I have And I don't know, this may resonate with you, but I think there's always been a fear for me that this story would be forgotten. I never wanted it to be forgotten. Um, Not not because of me, but just because I wanted people to know how serious it was and that you can learn so much from it, from some part of it, depending on what need I guess you have that needs Mm -hmm. to be be met. But I used to worry about Mm -hmm. that a lot. And so I stopped, um, I kind of stopped doing that and just said, all right, Lord, I'm not going to email any more celebrities. Like, I'm not going to do that because that is not the way that you want this story to be shared. And there has to, you know, it needs to go out the way you want it to. And, and when I stopped doing that, oh goodness, Scarlett, it's like doors open. I never thought I would have, you know, a chance to, to have opened. And so anyway, I, I guess that's, 
that's where I am now. I just wait. And it seems like the times I'm really struggling and I'll just pray, Lord, I feel like this is getting heavy. You know, I haven't had a chance to talk about this in, in a while. And I really wish I could share it somewhere. It's like the same day I'll get some kind of message from somebody. And it just, your, your email was one of those situations. I mean, I couldn't even believe that. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. that's Jesse's mom. Like I knew I couldn't believe it. And then when you want to talk to me on the phone, I told Jason, I'm like, I don't think these, I've told Michelle this. I was like, I don't think these people understand that, you know, y'all to me are your children <laughs> for sure are, are heroes. And I, I don't, you know, I'm just a middle school guy <laughs> and a mom of two, you know, like I don't, well, I don't you, know. you are so, you so, know what, you know, you're, you're talking, but your words are very meaningful to me and they're very helpful because I push myself every day because I know that we're responsible for our kids' safety and I, and I know that we're not doing enough. And, and so I push, push, push. And, and, uh-huh. you know, I, I need to let God direct me more, not, not me thinking I know where this needs to go, but I, I want to be used and I need for him to help guide me so that it's every, every word that comes out of your mouth, <laughs> I hang on Molly and it's really helpful to me. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. I just. I don't know. I, I want, I think I, I, I'm learning, I guess. I don't know this. I think I'm learning that God's plan and his preparation and the way that he unveils it all is so much better than my way. Cause I know that like when I wrote the book, there wasn't pressure per se, but I know that our, you know, our publisher, there's a, they, they've gone through all these professional speaking trainings and all these things. And I just said, I don't, think I want to ever mm-hmm. do that I don't want to get on the stage and be thinking about how I'm holding my left arm I, I don't want to do that like I I people don't need that that's they need real people uh, who you know like I've had two c-sections so my stomach will never be flat again like they need to see somebody's mama you know because this is real this is what real life is and and we, as women, especially, you know, society doesn't paint it that we should look like we really do. You know, we're supposed to yep. look a whole lot better yep. and younger and <laughs> faster and everything else and, and do more with less time. And, and so I, I, I think that the Lord is, is teaching me that if I will take a step back and watch and wait and watch that he will reveal exactly what is supposed to happen. And I won't have to have a thing in the world to do with it, except for call you back <laughs> or, you know, or whoever yeah. that person is who reaches out to contact. Yeah, I love so, that. And let me tell you um, something. I have had all of the professional speaking training and I had already done that. Talk about being prepared. I had had that uh, during investment really. banking. I used to, I was terrified oh, yes. getting up in front of whole towns, having to explain the inner workings uh-huh. of a municipal bond and why, it was a good idea right. for them to refinance a $12 million bond into a $25 million bond and literally during a, a <laughs> town meeting go through all of the mathematics of that that I was uncomfortable with anyway. And I took all uh-huh. of the professional speaking training through my job 
And, and of course that, Uh that was what I needed to get to the point where I could do it. But I want, I'm here to tell you that you don't need anything. You are (laughs) the, the best speaker I've ever seen. You're authentic. You are genuine and you are a fantastic speaker anyway. You're very articulate. And so you don't need anything. God made you perfect the way that you are. And he gave me an English degree. I joke about that. I said, I guess my vocabulary from all my reading, but well, thank you for all those things. That just means so much to me. I I don't know that I deserve all that, but I Absolutely. appreciate hearing it. It, it, it. it reminds me I'm doing the right thing. You, in the you right are. Way. And you are on the right track and you're going to be, you're going to be running in the 5k marathon on Sunday, right? I'm, I'm doing that here at home and um, I'm going to wear my hat and I'm going to take my duck with me. Well, he probably won't run my whole 5k, but I'll leave him at the car for my picture afterwards. But yes, I'm definitely going to do that. I'm so and that's excited after about you it. Speak at the medal of honors museum. Yes, we're, I'm, we're leaving tonight to go to Chattanooga and we're going to spend the night so that I can be, I like to get there a little bit early because they usually give me a tour and let me see any of the new things they've done because I joined the advisory board back during the summer. So I went from just, which is funny because I, my dad said, well, you went from being an exhibit to being on the board. So we that, but so um, they, yeah, I'm an exhibit because it is, I mean, they have all my clothing. I had that on that day and. Oh. Oh, and wow. when I die, my medal will go there. And so, and I, and I got to decide that I didn't have to, but I had two boys and one medal and I couldn't, there was just wasn't a right. fair way to do that. I knew they would keep it in a box locked up in a cabinet forever. And what good does that do? I mean, I wanted, you know, little girls to walk through and look at the picture and say, what did that lady do? And, you know, somebody talked to them about how, you know, I, I lost homecoming queen twice, but who wants to be homecoming queen when That's you can right. be a hero? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Something even yep. better than that, you know? So, we, um, so we're going up, we're going up tonight and then we have the book signing is first in the morning. And then I'm speaking right after that to the people who, um, who sign like they had to sign up, I guess, to attend. And, um, then, yeah, then we're coming home on Saturday after the, after I speak because we have church Sunday and I joke about how I'm one of the treasurers and Jason um, takes up like, he's like the Sunday school superintendent and he helps with the live stream. And so we, it's like, we have to be there. So we joke about, we have to plan all of our vacations around not missing church on Sunday. But um, anyway, so we'll come back tomorrow night. So we'll be here for Sunday morning. If we get to have church, I don't know yet here still, if we'll be able wow, to the weather. But, um, yeah but I'm gonna run anyway it may be, I may be slow going I, it may be more of a walk <laughs> I may wear my snow boots but I'm gonna still get to do it so I'm excited now let me ask this did they like when I when I did, did my um registration for that I can't remember am I supposed to yes. be getting a shirt because if okay well I haven't yet but now again the weather has been very very delayed and so I'm gonna check um, and make sure that that hasn't cut, but if it, even if it doesn't, I have the hats and I can, I'll, I'll be good. I can make it. Um, I've got a shirt that's the teal color kind of, so I can, I'll tie it all together somehow, but, um, 
I didn't know if they, I, sometimes they don't come till after the race. No, so it I, should I have come sure. almost right after you registered because I got my shirt. Well, do you think it's because you're no, so close? I, I'll, I'll ask her. I'll, she'll, yeah, no, she okay. was, I told her that you signed up and she was really excited. So I will tell her, she'll want to make okay. sure you got your shirt. Well, now listen, sometimes though, when you sign up for those things, there's like a no shirt and a shirt option. And girl, I might've signed up for the wrong thing. So don't tell her to send me a shirt if okay. I didn't sign up for it. <laughs> I, just don't know. I, don't, I don't know. Not all of them are that way. Some of them, you just automatically get a yeah, shirt. Yeah, I think I don't you know. did automatically so, get a shirt, but I'll double check with her. And thank you for okay, saying something. Okay. Okay. Well, like I said, I would have not thought, really thought a thing about it because I do plenty of them where you don't. Sometimes they mail you a medal or they mail you like a bib or something, but um, they're all different. So I just, I wasn't sure, but I will, I will still have, like I said, I'll have my hat on and I'm going to take the book with right. me for my picture. So I'll, I'll make awesome. it all good. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Scarlett, for letting me do this today. i tell you what, I've, I hope I didn't say too much. I know I get long-winded sometimes. Perfect. It was beautiful. Okay. I'm just so thankful. And I look forward to just staying in touch forever and working with you some more in any way me that too. God calls for us to. <laughs> no, yeah. and I, me too. Me too. And I hope, like I said, I'm hoping that soon there will be a chance to travel more and everybody will yep. feel safer about doing it. And they'll start the conferences back because I really feel like that's where we'll all have a chance to connect. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of you all that I want to meet. I want to meet yes. Frank DeAngelis. And yep. I just, um, I don't know. There's so, so many that I just want to, I mean, and I hope at some point, and I don't, I don't know um, the the congressional Medal of honor foundation um, at one point mentioned to me the possibility of connecting me to some of the teachers' families from Sandy Hook, um, but then they never mentioned it again, and I didn't, they, they, they changed administrators, there was a lot of turns, so I, I didn't ever really push that very much, um, but I, I'm hoping that I can at some point, I mean, I really, I want to at least be able to write to them or something and just, you know, tell them that I, I think about their families every, every time I put this bracelet on every single morning mm. and every night when I take it off. And so I hope somehow I'll be able to connect with them too, um, as well as as many of you all as I can. I just, you know, it's, I don't, for me, it is a, um, I don't know, I just want a chance to like I said, to, to tell you all how it, I think all of those things shaped what, I, because I'll tell you this part in the training that I wrote, every time I talked about a different shooting, I always showed a picture of every single mm. victim and talked about them. It was, and it's funny in hindsight to me how important it was, not that I know like all the horrific details or what have you, but that I knew who those people were. But see, I've always, when September 11th happened, I bought a book called Portraits in Grief, and it's like three paragraphs of every single person who died on September 11th, and I read the whole thing. I've always had this need to connect to to people like that, like just to know what, um, I don't know, maybe I'm looking for their purpose, and I want to find, I, I don't know, but anyway uh, I, so I'm thank the same you way, by for the all way. Of I, I just wrote a blog about how and, and my to hear JT who's 20 now talk about it it sounds kind of morbid but I would buy books of people that mm -hmm. had overcome 
like yeah. uh like yeah uh, and I'd read them to the boys when they were young I started out with uh with Little House uh-huh. on the Prairie and all the entire series uh-huh. but then it escalated to Johnny who Johnny Tada Erickson who dove yes okay oh, yeah Bobby yep. accident yes yep. I've read the book Louis Samparini, Unbroken, mm-hmm. all of these different portrayals yeah. of people that got through tragedy and trauma and triumphed. And yeah. that's what I read the boys growing up. And, you know, to hear JT uh-huh. talk about it, he'd say, oh, yeah, we get a box of books. It's like people breaking their necks or being POWs <laughs> or like, that's what my mom read uh-huh. to us. But, but now, you know, after hearing I, I never put two and two together, but after hearing you speak, I said, well, that's why, because I was studying resilience then and how they did it. Well, <laughs> and you know, when I read your book and there, there are two pictures of Jesse that I just thought, I mean, one is him when he has on the little military helmet and he's kind of got his yes. head cocked to one side and the other was him in the bathtub with yes. all those soldiers lined up. And I thought, he was being prepared his whole life for that battle. I mean, he was. That. That's amazing. You know, I mean, you know, every time that he, like, why did he develop such an interest in that? Not all little kids like things like that. What, you know, and you, when you look at, you break it down into all the, I mean, when this happened, this incident happened with me, because I, I, I never am reading one book at a time. I'm always reading at least two and sometimes three. But I was reading um, the book about Sully Sullenberger landing that I plane in the Hudson. I was reading um, Dylan Klebold's mother's book and I was reading the book by um, the woman. uh, I've just lost his name. He was, it wasn't Todd Beamer, but it was one of the men who was on flight 93 on September. Tom Burdett. It took me a second. His wife, Dana had written the book and that's the three books I was reading that week before this happened. And I look and I have like pieced through them over and over again at how many little tidbits of that like you just think of all these things that are like fluttering around that are all connecting you to the next experience the next experience preparing you for that and I look at like that day and I think about that all those little pieces being prepared for me to have that conversation it's just it's amazing to me but yeah the book's about resilience I mean right now I just finished reading. Okay, this has to be your next book. Okay. Like, buy it today. <laughs> and, we, and we have okay. to find this man. I'm telling you. Okay. In the 1980s, there was a school shooting in Virginia by a, a man named T.J. Stevens. Now, I think his name then was like Jamie Stevens or something. He went by something completely different. But he opened fire in his high school, shot it all up, and somehow, by the grace of God, did not kill anybody, but held people hostage in the office, like, for nine hours, like, overnight or something like that. And he later, in prison, got saved, Mm. became a Christian. And he tells the story of what happened to him that day. And I'm going to tell you, Scarlett, like, holy cow. It's like the first time that somebody has been able to really speak from that side of it and talk about it. And he, what made him write the book was Parkland. Like after Parkland, he just said, he watched a video of Nicholas Cruz in that prison cell and like punching himself in the face. And he said, I I know that I know the devil that's there. Like he, anyway, but he talked what happened with in his situation 
is there was a hostage negotiator who connected with him mm. over the phone and gradually over the course of the day or whatever allowed him to release everybody except for one woman. And when it was her time to be released, she refused to go. And she said, I'm staying oh. with you. You are a scared kid. And if I oh leave, they'll kill you. And so she would not leave him until they went out together. And when I read that, all I could think about is, number one, I got to reach out to this man, which I did and haven't heard anything. But the second thing was, I've got to find that woman, like whoever she was in that school, I have been her. Like, I know, <laughs> I just want to like connect with her and just tell her if nobody's ever talked to her before, I completely understand. She may be dead because that was, you know, gosh, 30 years ago. But anyway, but it's the book is called, it's called Once a Shooter. Okay. And it's the redemption of a high school shooter, I think is what is the, is okay. the subtitle. But I bought it on Amazon and the guy lives in Virginia, but he lived in Nashville for a while. But anyway, it is, it is amazing. Like I thought to myself, holy cow, he is so one of us, but I don't think he'll, like he is so still, sh the shame is there when you read it and the hurt and the embarrassment and the, you know, how much it, he, he damaged people and how they struggled over what he did and, you know, anyway, but it, it is really it I is will, something. I'll buy it, it and we'll try to find that. him. I'd, I'd love to, too. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I just, when I read it, I thought, man, this this guy just, because I'll tell you what I thought is I, I hope somehow at some point I can make a connection to him. Because if my boy in my situation ever reaches out to me again, I would love to say, honey, I know the perfect person right. for you to talk to. You know what I mean? You talk Absolutely. about a connection. How many people get that? Oh my gosh. So anyway, but yeah, you think you read it and see if you, if it touches you like it did me, I think All you'll right. be surprised. Let's it's talk really about something. it when I read it. Okay. Girl. Well, thank you again for today. Thank you, so Molly. Much. I want you to ha just soak it up tomorrow and, and then oh, have a good run on Sunday and we will be in touch soon. Hey, hey, oh. It's all part of us, we can all choose love, it'll lift you up, if you let it in, let's